Welcome to the Scale with Tech and AI Growth Lab podcast. I'm your host, Jay Farr at Tech Fusion Systems. Our guest is Chad Price, founder of Kettlebell Kings. Chad, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So do you want to kick it off and give us an overview of Chad Price and some of your companies and the Kettlebell Kings and, and what that's all about? Sure. My name's Chad Price. I'm from a small town in Texas. Grew up kind of Texas, born and raised. Ended up starting Kettlebell Kings and a couple other businesses after college with a couple of buddies of mine that I met in college. So through my college network, I did go to Rice and I played football there. And so some of my network is athletes. And then one of my other partners is a friend of one of my college teammates. So really close-knit friend group that decided to start an e-commerce brand after we went through our own corporate career strategies in the first few years after college. We got together in 2012, started Kettlebell Kings. That culminated in a acquisition, a multi-million dollar acquisition at the basically the beginning of 2022. And at this point now, I started another company, Life Grows Green, which it's a natural lifestyle company that I'm also the CEO of, as well as my consulting firm and chatprice.com, which kind of acts as my educational and consulting wing of my operation. Got it. So Kettlebell Kings was, was acquired and you're no longer an owner in that company? So technically it's a, it was a three-year acquisition. So that's the, that structure, that deal still in process. But yeah, that was initiated at the end of basically it was like November, 2021. So right at the end, beginning of 2022. Got it. So just a couple of years at a college, you and some, some other athletes started. So how, how did this come about? Why did you guys start Kettlebell Kings? Let's start us off there. You guys are on kind of corporate America out of college on just a couple of years. Sounds obviously you were an athlete. So who came up with the idea of Kettlebell Kings? Why kettlebells? How'd you see a need in the marketplace for it? How'd you start it? What's the story? Even when I was in college and after I graduated, I knew I wanted to work for an operation or a brand that pushed or I thought pushed me forward in my career, my business kind of acumen. I was trying to get on a forward-thinking team that was taking advantage of digital tools and social media and really trying to build online communities, virtual communities that were much larger than you typically could, let's say 20 years ago. I was fortunate enough to see the rise of social media. I was in college when Facebook came out. So I remember like having and drooling over the idea of, man, I can really build a brand and use this platform to bring all these people together. So I had, we had been in talks with friends and other parts of this kind of friend group about what are we going to do when we graduate? Who's going to start a business? And no one I knew in that group had really started a business yet. And I was pretty serious about it. So I decided to, I'm going to go out and I'm going to reach out to everyone that I talked to previously that I would trust to start a business with. And we didn't even know what business we we're going to start when we agreed to start a business. So we agreed that we're going to start something. It was going to be e-commerce based. It was going to be, we we're going to take advantage of social media and really focus on the brand and the community and trying to bring as many people online together as possible. And kettlebells just coincidentally fell in line with our, not only our personal goals, but with where it was in the cycle of the kettlebell itself. At the time there was CrossFit was becoming a lot more popular. And so you would hear about them and you'd see them in CrossFit workouts, but they weren't really used as a centerpiece of a, a fitness and wellness routine like they could be. And so we decided to let's make a cool brand, a lifestyle brand around using the kettlebell as a centerpiece and then really aggregate all the content that we can and become like the, the ESPN of the kettlebell world 
in which if you're a kettlebell enthusiast, this is the place for you. You will find all the accurate information if you want to debate different strategies on using the kettlebells, types of kettlebells. We wanted to basically become a kettlebell university and superstore at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I remember back in the day in those years, I never saw a kettlebell. I didn't even know they existed. <laughs> I'd never seen one before in a gym anywhere. And now I can't even go to a hardcore dungeon gym and not see kettlebells. <laughs> I remember like one of the like real dungeon, like Dorian Yates style, like hardcore powerlifting gyms, yep. you know, back in the, before I moved out here to Ohio, they even had kettlebells and I'm going, oh my God, there's kettlebells everywhere. So it's, you know, it's so interesting. You guys were a major part of that, a centerpiece of that. It's also interesting how you were talking about, you saw how social media and some of these new, you know, networking platforms gave you a really great opportunity to start a business. And that kind of came about before you even knew what business it was going to be. I think that's definitely interesting. What other, did you have any other ideas besides kettlebells that you guys passed on that were talked about for a while? We had quite a, a traditional fitness company was obviously one of them. We even talked about like a smoking accessories and things like that. So we had several different kind of niches that we went into. But I ended up actually starting a nail salon at the same time as I started the kettlebell company. My girlfriend and I started a nail salon in which she was actually very good at doing creative nails. And so I took that similar concept and just hyper-focused it geographically on the area that we were in. We happened to be here in Austin, which is a, a very artsy and expressive city, if you will, when it comes to people being able to express themselves freely and wear extravagant nails or colorful hair or whatever that may be. And just the experience of building communities and both of those kind of different niches, one's a retail space with more of a flamboyant and artsy feel where you're really trying to demonstrate your artistic nature of the venue and the skills of the service agent or the, ser the service providers that we have. And the other one is more of a health and wellness global campaign that you're trying to just bring every kettlebell enthusiast from around the world into this ecosystem and then take their content and just keep creating a system in which you can continue to feed new and new content in front of that audience. But it really helped me learn just overall how to put communities together. I think we would have been successful in any of the other niches that we chose, but I'm glad we chose kettlebells because it fit with our backgrounds in health and wellness. And we were actually able to change people's lives and help people and that has led me on to my, the next kind of part of my journey in writing the book and really focusing on how can my businesses be helpful for, for people. I could never really have a business now. And I know I couldn't have a business that didn't quote unquote help people or give people a good direction to go in. Yeah. I like the philosophy there. You get by giving and we'll touch on your book here. I love the title already, Preparing for Battle. You want to give us a quick overview of what the book is about? Sure. It's going to, the first section of the book is going to tell you a little bit about my life and where I grew up. It's going to talk about how many sports I played and how I built some of the themes and philosophies that I try to instill in the businesses and the, and the operations I choose to work with. A lot of times when, you know, I think you're trying to understand people or understand the business strategies of people, I think it's very similar to sports. Everyone doesn't call plays the same. And I want people to have that foundation and understand, okay, this is the foundation for a lot of my logic. That doesn't mean that this is the only way to do things, but I do think that if you understand the foundation of your logic and you have self-awareness of who you are, that's the best way to apply the proper strategy to whatever you're trying to achieve. So you may not have the same attributes that I have, and I may not share those same attributes as you, but I'll try to map those out and give you an idea of how I use this in the second section 
to map out business and go through. And then I use examples from Kettlebell Kings, the salon, even high school. I won the football state championship in high school. So I talk about that being the first time branding really clicked in my head and saw a brand shift from not winning a state football championship or being a no one and then turning into, let's say, a Dallas Cowboy type team and over the time of 12 months. So these type of experiences I talk about in the book. And then I finish the book with a work, like kind of worksheet or workbook that you can go through and map out your own ideas to start trying to at least mentally prepare for how you're going to strategize and go into your business. I love that you ended the book that way with some strategy and planning based on the kind of the lessons of the book. And I guess it's, it's the tagline you might call it of your book, how to overcome life's challenges, unlock your full potential and build a successful business. And the title is preparing for battle. And I love that analogy because I think achieving anything really, you should be prepared for battle, right? Whether it's a difficult battle or not, you should be prepared either way. What are your thoughts on that? When did you realize that being prepared for battle in order to achieve whatever you wanted to achieve and whatever your goals were was necessary? Like, when did you figure all that out? For me, I was fortunate to have to figure that out very early in life. My parents had me very young. I told everyone I grew up quick and in my mind, I've been an adult since I was like 10, 11 years old, but I've always seen things and been a little bit more, let's say more mature than my peers around me in the terms of how I try to prepare for things. I didn't earn a scholarship to play football in college and I didn't even start playing football until really my freshman year of high school. Most of my friends played all up until that point when I started. I had no idea what I was doing. I was a good athlete, but I had no idea what I was doing out there. And the previous ways that I went and prepared for things, I think that helped me understand, okay, this is what I need to do if I want to earn a football scholarship. And that mindset is definitely from sports. I've had that. I played almost every single sport under the sun, baseball, basketball, track, soccer, tennis, you name it, I've played it. And each one of those has given me that mindset where maybe you're not the best right now, but you can always be practicing and preparing. You can always be building up different skills that will give you a better chance to win in that competitive situation. And in business, I think that's the most competitive playing field that exists. I think if you want to be in the NBA, that's great. But being a multi-million dollar business owner or having what people would call a successful business in modern times, to me, is equally as hard or the equivalent of being in a a professional NBA player or NFL player, whatever that is, it's going to be that type of endeavor. So to think that you're going to get there by not preparing is somewhat naive. And that's what I try to give in the book is that this will be a battle. You should expect it to be a battle. Solving problems is just another day at the office. And if you don't have that mindset, it can get demoralizing and you can fail just because you can't take the battles versus you might have a good business idea and you just You can't take the stress of kind of the day-to-day headache of being an owner. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It sounds, from what you're saying, it it really sounds, in your opinion, it's a very easy choice for you that reaching your goals is worth the cost. And the the costs are high, aren't they? At least many times. And I think that a lot of people, for a lot of people, for some reason, they don't think that reaching their goals are worth the cost. What do you think that stems from? Do you think that people are wired differently? Do you think it's just culture? Do you think that maybe just because you had a little bit of a tougher upbringing because you had to grow fast that helped you get to that level and, and have that mindset? And what would you say to the people who don't have an easy time thinking that reaching their goals is worth the cost? What are your thoughts on that? 
I think it's hard. I, I don't think that everyone on the planet is going to want to be the leader of some major entity or organization. I think that takes a certain type of personality. And I think that personality has to understand that comes with responsibilities and it comes with a lot of sacrifices that you would have had to make to earn that reputation or that ability to even fill that role. So I look at it very, the head coach of my team, if he's not up to his full potential, he steps down unless someone else comes in and, and, and coach the team. And I think that's how leaders should be in every situation is we should want to give that. And I don't know another way for kids to get that. I think adults get a crash course in it when you become 18 and you get kicked out of your house and you just have to figure life out. But I think sports is probably the best way to get kids through that, even if you're not as successful in sports. I think you just get so many of those micro battles. You get to win, lose, get back up. You get to see that everything is okay the next week after you were devastated. These types of kind of emotional roller coasters that you get to simulate through sports, but you don't necessarily have to deal with the consequences of real life. And I think a lot of times people wait until real life to deal with those situations. And it is devastating when it re your lights really get cut off because you lost and <laughs> you actually lose things. That's a little more hard. So right. I would say try to get those experiences in early as possible. Um, speaking to college kids right now about the same thing, trying to take advantage of this safety net that you have right now, get as many experiences as you can. There is no such thing as a real loss when you're 16 years old. Like your, your loss is going home and going to sleep and <laughs> waking up the next right. day. But I don't think that most people look at it like that. And I don't think that they're preparing themselves for the somewhat brutal future that's out there. And it's going to be a lot harder when, when it gets real, so to speak. Yeah. And yeah, I totally agree. I see the parallel of sports and I think you're definitely right. You can learn a lot of the lessons you're going to need later on in life that are much they have much higher risk later on, but figure those things out earlier. I think that's a, a great piece of advice. Can you tell us about kettlebells? Like how did you guys get it up and running? And what were the things that you did at each major stage to continue scaling? Can you give us a little bit of kind of business entrepreneurship lessons of building a very successful e-commerce brand? Sure. The When we started, we didn't really have a clear idea of where the brand was going to go. We knew we wanted to be a kettlebell superstore. We knew we wanted to be, like I say, the ESPN of the kettlebell world. But at the time, we didn't have enough resources to invest in every direction that could go in. When we started off, and I think it's just like any company starts off, you're just trying, you're trying to generate some type of cash flow, trying to find customers in general. The way that worked for us, obviously, social media was a lot easier back then than it is right now. So social media played a big role in us being able to generate those initial leads. But we were into kind of lead generate campaigns and funnels much before they were necessarily required through these, these platforms. And a lot of the ways we do that was just through the content. So we take content, try to form some type of series of content, almost like a production company would. And then we would basically use social media and other advertising tools to generate an email list from that content. And we wouldn't even pitch anyone for, sometimes we wouldn't pitch anyone for 60 days, 90 days before we, they would ever get any type of pitch for purchase the kettlebell. So you guys um, knew you had to warm them up to a certain point in the, in consuming the sure. content before pitching. It's so interesting. How were you guys so ahead of your time at, in this year? It was what, 2000 and 
2012 or what year was it? Yeah, this is 2012, 2013. I think it's because we started with social media. Some people use social media as like a personal recreational tool. And I think I and the network that I was a part of, or still still a part of, but the, the network that we started at the time and the owners, we all used, we all saw it as something to be taken advantage of for a business. So something that's going to bring a community of people together and help us find those people at an accelerated rate as we grow. So we were all about how do we identify every single kettlebell purchaser online tomorrow? Like, how do we do that? What is this? What are the steps we need to put in place? How much, if we can prove this out, then we can go get funding and scale this. We can scale this ourselves. We just need to prove the model. So really trying to answer that question is what kept us in that direction. But it's not like we didn't test the other things as well. And I think that's one of the things that helped us also is that with kettlebells, I was I would consider myself somewhat of an expert in competitive lifting and working out. I've been working out pretty much since I was five years old and I still do to this day. But I had never really done anything specific with kettlebells. I had never made a kettlebell for sure. So I had to become an expert in all that. And I had so, to learn so why from kettlebells. Like, how did you guys go? Let's build kettlebells. Like, why? What was the state of kettlebells then? Were you, were you guys exposed to using kettlebells on your football and other sports training? Because, like I said, like back in those days, and I'm more of a, a bodybuilder. I'm a short dude, so I'm not really too much for being a runner and that sort of thing. But we just had dumbbells. There were no kettlebells. I never would probably would have never thought of such a thing myself. But how did you see such an opportunity and such a need in the market and in the fitness and health world for kettlebells that you decided to, to pick that and to go with that as your product line? We knew that being in a niche and taking over a growing niche would be something of value. If you looked at anything, any statistical uh, application, so even if you just look at Google Trends or any of the kind of trends of just the amount of awareness around the term kettlebell, how many people were purchasing kettlebells, like the, everything was indicating that the entire sector of kettlebell sales was going to grow. So when you know that, and then you cross-reference that with, there is no real brand, like there's no one, it, it was a, to everyone else, it was just another side product. And even the products that they had were crappy. Through the process of researching that ourselves, we realized like, hey, there's no real competition here. And it's something that personally, we actually liked ourselves. So, you know, the difference I think between kettlebells and your powerlifting and other types of equipment is I think kettlebells are more universally accepted and, and maybe universally, let's say, useful to people who don't work out all the time. And unfortunately for America, most people don't work out all the time. So you can't really, like, if, if you can't do basic movements with a kettlebell, it's going to be hard for you to transition to powerlifting. And I think a lot of people will just get that functional fitness that they really can see in a, on a day-to-day -day basis from things like kettlebells, and that will inspire them to keep going with their fitness and health routine versus trying to start being Arnold Schwarzenegger on day one and not ever really reaching that. And, and that's what we saw really initially. Hey, people actually like this because it's not as hard. You're using momentum. But the functional goals and the, the things that they actually want to see in their life change, they change. Like the, I'm sure everyone's seen the commercial of the grand the granddad lifting the kettlebell and then he holds his baby. I don't know if you've seen that one, but he's lifting a kettlebell for six months doing kettlebell swings. And it's also he can swing his two-year-old grandson in the air. Oh, so it's like, that's a good it's, ad. and it's like, though, yeah, exactly. It's a really good ad, but it's like <laughs> those types of movements, right? Like those kind of just how we actually function. You can do that with kettlebells and 
I liked that personally because I had never been taught that. And so that was like a self-exploring journey that I got to go on as well. So I was like a customer as well as the owner and, it, and people could see that energy. And I wanted to refine that and bring as many people down that path as possible. And I just see the kettle bus like one entry point into health and wellness. I don't, I, I, we never tried to frame it as this is the only thing to do. This is, this is inspiring. This is an empowering tool that if you own this, then you always have a chance to be better and fit and a more kind of well-rounded human being. I got to tell you, painted such a detailed picture in that explanation. Like I totally, like I can go back in time with you and we're hanging out in 2012 and you saying that and me going, I'm sold. Let's do it. Interesting. Did you hit any like major issues in, in your scaling and did you have to pivot and change it all along the way? Quite a bit. We try to see our business as like a living, breathing organism that has to adapt and grow over time. The one-year-old company should not be the same as the five-year-old company. But what one of the things we would talk about is this is a never-ending kind of growth exercise, especially if we're not a globally recognized brand. Until we get to that point, this is kind of an accelerating experience. And in that, you're going to find so many things that get in the way. Inventory financing, probably won't be one of the biggest ones. When you're a real growing brand and you have to have inventory, you can only grow by the amount of money that you make. What about the shipping? The shipping's going to cost a fortune. You're shipping heavy weights. (laughs) When we started, shipping was a major issue. Our shipping costs were quite often and more than often, more than the actual cost of the item itself. Getting that to a customer was the thing that we had to really work on. And we didn't know at the beginning of this journey how big of issue that was going to be. We were just willing to take that risk. And we're like, other companies are doing it. We'll figure out how how they're doing it and do it better. What that ended up being was we offered free shipping on all of our products. Obviously, we had to bake that into some of the price of the products, but that gave people a more clear understanding of the market, let's say, of the kettlebell market when it's free shipping. So we were the first company to go to free shipping for fitness Mm -hmm. equipment that we knew of would run offers and do $150 more, $250 or more, you get free shipping. But we were the first company to say pretty much everything on the site forever is free shipping. And we did that because Amazon started doing it. Right. I was just going to say, because (laughs) I bet you guys were in the early stages because Amazon, that's a normal thing, you know, for people now, but back then it wasn't. But we knew interesting that you guys had the foresight to do that because it also makes the the customer experience a lot nicer. You don't have to worry about the shipping because there is no shipping. You know what the price is before you get to the checkout, right? Yeah, we would study that and we saw it work for Amazon. So we knew that's the future. Amazon is setting the bar for what people's ex- people expectations will be, whether we like it or not. And you so, tested it, you know, cause you yeah. could have gone back. You could have tested it. It could have failed exactly. miserably and you could have gone back. So you tested it, it worked and, and you kept with it. So then what that led to is a extreme increase in sales velocity. Once we shipped to free shipping, every survey that we had, people said the number one reason they ordered from us was that we had free shipping. So then it became high quality and free shipping. And those are the things that we wanted to be known for, regardless as a brand, customer service, high quality kettlebells and free shipping became one of those kind of factors as well. What we didn't know is that how valuable our shipping rates would be to shippers themselves. So as our volume increased, there are companies that do a lot of volume in terms of dollar amount, but there are less companies that do a lot in terms of the volume of weight. I use like Kendra Scott, for example, she will send out a bunch of necklaces that are less than a pound each. She will probably send out dozens and dozens of those packages. 
the UPS and the other shippers, they're not going to get very good margins on those because they're so they're going to so many different locations that's costing them quite a bit of money. They would rather have highly dense packages going to one location where someone's paying a larger amount of money, and then they can literally max out every single truck off weight versus wasted space of volume. And once we realized that, then it just became a matter of negotiating our rates. And so we had a cycle in which we negotiate rates and work with the best shipper possible. And from the time we started to when we got our rates negotiated, we probably saved 60% or more on shipping. And it, it was once you had ridiculous. the volume, you had that buying yeah. power, right? Exactly. And now everyone's, hey, let's talk. Let's, we can talk about this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you take a UPS truck and it can't fit any more TVs in it. It can't fit any more refrigerators or any more big items that cost basically the same amount. But it can fit a hundred pound kettlebell that costs a lot to ship. It can fit a five 35 pound kettlebells because you're literally talking about dense iron that they, they can put on any truck and that increases the profit margins for the shipper. So if you're shipping heavy weights out there, negotiating in whichever way you get to the most volume, it will be beneficial for you for sure, because you'll be able to get those percentages down by, I say, 60% from where we were when we started. That's It was quite a drastic decrease in the amount of profits now that we can bring back to the EBITDA. Yeah. Yeah. That's a uh, interesting uh, case study for everyone out there who wants to, you know, ship anything. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, Life Grows Green? Is this a new company or? Sure. So Life Grows Green, I started it, technically started in 2019. And it was a spin of my ideas in regards to basically, uh, we were able to help a lot of people with having a piece of fitness equipment, having different types of fitness equipment, educational training, we did certifications and workout classes and workshops and you name it, we were able to help people from that perspective. The area that I noticed the most or the gap throughout those years of helping those people were the other products that people chose to either consume or to use in their health and wellness routine. So I consider that like natural lifestyle products or natural products that can replace pharmaceutical or commercial solutions that you currently have. Everything from the supplements that you're taking to we have hemp and CBD based products, things like that. We will have, we have a huge product develop, new product development project going on right now for our Amazon store that we'll be coming out with. We'll have other lifestyle products like bedding, glassware, basically anything that you're going to use in your lifestyle that can have a natural solution that does not have harmful side effects or environmental side effects, these types of things, we're trying to replace those products. And I'm trying to build a community around people who like to see that type of initiative and don't want to have to research every single different angle of every product that they're going, that they're going after. Right now, the hardest thing is just trying to discern which products are actually quote unquote organic and which products aren't. And I want to try to build a company that's completely transparent and the centerpiece of everything is around it being a natural product. Yeah, that's interesting. Is Are all the products currently hemp and, and CBD? Currently about, yeah, about 90% of them are probably hemp-based products right now. We do have other products. Obviously, we have, we have honey and peanut butter, different things like that. We have a couple different protein powders that'll be coming out. So we have the hemp protein right now, but we'll be doing a standard protein powder and things like that. So I look at the current lineup as a a starting point for building the community around, but I don't really, I don't have any boundaries when it comes to what product I'll bring on board. It's more of what is the community looking for? 
what am I seeing as a maybe a, a trend or something that's coming that's becoming into popularity and things like that. Got it. So I got two two questions. Where currently is most of the hemp grown and sourced from currently? And is that I'm guessing that is a, a pretty growing demand. What can you For tell sure. us about that? So I think that's a great question. And that's one of the things that I try to be as transparent as possible about. A lot of times when you're getting hemp products, you don't know where anything is coming from. It's There is a kind of a national, if not global market of, let's say, hemp oils and hemp byproducts that you can then add to traditional products. And then you can label those products as that thing. You can take some hemp seed oil from China, put it into regular salve, and you can call it hemp salve. We manufacture and we are pretty transparent, and I shouldn't say pretty transparent, we're completely transparent in terms of where our, all of our things come from. Everything comes with the lab test. Our two current, we have two different manufacturers, one's in Colorado, one is in California, and they actually grow all, everything for the products for us. And so we will work with the manufacturer that will design formulas and design different products that we can then have tested at the lab and then basically form a, a never-ending system of updated batches from the lab report. So every single thing that you're going to get is coming with a certificate of analysis and basically that you're getting high quality products from a natural source. There's no kind of middleman who could be potentially contaminating that process. Got it. Yeah. I, I didn't know I expected for a lot of hemp to be grown outside of the United States, but I have no idea where most of it is grown. But I, I don't know anything about that. Do you, how much do you know about where most of the growing takes place? It's all over the world. Right. Yeah, so many places, especially if you're talking about, obviously, the closer you get to the equator, the, the more you can grow anything, pretty much. So a lot of South and Central America and things like that. But the most of the stuff that you're going to see shipped is not going to be like, say, the natural plant, the frozen flower from the plant where then you process. That would actually be pretty healthy if you were to ship some Colombian hemp here and then process that and it was grown organically there. That would be a very good system to have. Unfortunately, because of the regulations around a lot of things, you can't just ship those types of things internationally, which requires them to process them into something, to some ingredient. And those processing methods are not always up to par and you can't control those and you can't verify how those were things were processed. Usually when you run a lab report or a lab analysis on these types of processed products, you will find out they did use some type of harsh chemical to process away what they wanted to, to get out of the plant. And that is a way to do things. That's just not the way that we're going to do things at, at Life Grows Green. And there are alternative solutions that have no chemicals in it. And I think that's a better alternative to, to try to lean towards. And mm -hmm. those are the types of products and, and manufacturers and manufacturing processes that I try to find. Gotcha. Do you foresee regulation being more of a problem with natural products and especially CBD and, and hemp, or do you think that's a way of the past? Oh, no, it's still here for sure. You can't advertise as a, a hemp company. One of the things that's majorly restricted our growth as a brand is that you can't advertise. I've had the account has been literally banned from mm -hmm. Facebook and Instagram and things like that because of just normal advertisements. And it's not even a, you could take an advertisement from an active campaign that you would see on social media, apply that exact same advertisement and your account can get banned. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm going to guess, and I want to hear your thoughts on this because you know the industry. I'm going to guess that those pressures come from a lot of big pharma. Is that the case or not? 
2,000%. It's coming all from Big Pharma. Isn't that called it's, racketeering? It's definitely illegal, <laughs> but it's, this is the world we live in, right? Where yeah. you have to get to a point in which it's blatant and they can't do it anymore and it hasn't gotten to that point. So when you yeah. talk about whether or not a pharmaceutical company, the data's in at this point. Pharmaceutical sales go down in every state that legalizes cannabis, that legalizes hemp, that legalizes any alternative natural solution. The sales are going down. So I think that's a society we should be striving for and, and moving towards. Obviously, if you own a pharmaceutical company, you're going to try to do everything you can to keep people hooked to your drugs. And I think there has to be some type of government regulation or government non-regulation, to be more honest, about mm -hmm. not trying to limit natural products and allow pharmaceutical companies that kind of have a monopoly on selling these types of products. Yeah. I think when you're selling something that's natural, I don't think you should make invalid claims and claim my quote unquote hemp oil can cure cancer. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that at all, but mm -hmm. this is a natural option for someone if they're trying to supplement whatever they're trying to supplement the same way it would be if they were taking any supplement, any other supplement. And I, and I think that's the real kind of fair chance that the hemp space and the, the cannabis space really wants to have. Yeah. Fair business competition is all well and good, but what happened to business ethics? And the fact is the conglomerates that have enormous pockets, they buy the regulations that suit them and push natural products and little guys out. And I do hear a lot more people talking about it these days, which is, which yeah. is good because you need the support of the public to, to do any kind of pushback in that sort of a system. So yeah, it's a uh, really interesting stuff. I personally love CBD and a lot of natural products. And so I love that trend and I'm glad that it's, that's going on. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your coaching? And the other things that you're doing at chadprice.com, we talked about your book a little bit. What would you like to cover there? Sure. So one of the things I do is I, I do consulting work. So if anyone's looking for any type of consulting work, whether it's community building, brand building, really anything related to direct consumer operations, that's my area of expertise. That would be the area I've been working in. And I, I've already done it in several different businesses. So I like drawing the overlap from one business to another and applying a lot of the concepts that have worked for me in the past. But coupled with that same thought, one of the things that I've always wanted to do and like to help to do is give back to people who are younger than me and people who are trying to, let's say, come to a realization or a, a, a point to choose what path they want to go down in life. So I remember that time for me and I, I wish there were more resources available to me. And so I, I'm trying to provide those resources. So one of the things I'm doing is mentorships and internships. I'm working with my, the university that I went to, my alma mater, Rice University. I, I'll be doing like presentations, keynote speaking about basically Right now, a lot of it's focused on how to apply the sports concepts and sports concepts on the, the quote-unquote business playing field, but it's really how to apply general concepts that we all learned growing up and how to apply your personal experiences to make you a better business leader. I think we all have a lot of kind of experiences in life that we maybe not, we don't tie to how we can utilize those to conflict resolution and team building and different kind of aspects that we will need to grow our business. And I think there's a lot of that. And if you just sit down and think about, prepare yourself for you, it'll help you build the correct kind of philosophy as a coach or as a leader to go in and really give that direction to your team and have a chance to be most successful. 
Yeah, that's such a great thing to deliver because um, it's interesting you just commented on like the for people to see and to recognize the relationship between something that might seem unrelated like playing sports in school to building a business. And there are so many parallels and lessons that you can take from one walk of life or one life experience and apply it to another. That's awesome. And where are most of your speaking engagements at? Are they at high schools or colleges or businesses? Yeah, right now I'm trying to do a lot of colleges. So that's really been my sweet spot right now. But yeah, I'm, I want to do everything. When colleges and college athletes is obviously a lot more personal for me. So those are the people I relate to the most. And I think that all of those people are really at a kind of a, a reflection point when you graduate college. I, I remember thinking, okay, am I officially putting my cleats up and becoming a, becoming a businessman now? And what business am I going to go into? The, the workshops, the presentations, it's really for people who are at that point and trying to figure it out. You're really at that reflection point where you're saying, okay, I, need, I know I need to choose a direction. But I don't know exactly which direction I want to go in. I try to give you an outline to help you get mentally prepared to just go in a direction. And I, I tell people all the time, I don't think you have to think that every direction you go in is going to be the right direction. But I think if you're learning as you go along, shifting gears becomes natural. You, if I wouldn't have went through the experiences that I wouldn't have went through, I probably wouldn't have started a company. And each of those experiences was not a failure. If I worked six months at a company and then I realized, hey, this is not what I want to be doing. To me, that was a good thing because I have now checked that off my list and I take those good things and I moved and I have to take that on to the next experience. And I'm trying to remember who it was. It was Tony Robbins mentor, Jim Rohn. You probably, it might be too old for some people, right? Because he was I, Tony, I know that name, yeah. Yeah, Jim Rohn. So Jim Rohn was Tony Robbins mentor. And of course he came from the sales background. And he always said when someone said no to his sales pitch, that was a great thing because he knew eight no's made two yeses. It's like picking the wrong path, you know, pick a few wrong paths, you're, you're getting closer to the right one. So I love it. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to do some consulting, if they want to talk to you about speaking? I'm everywhere. You can reach me on social channels. I'm on LinkedIn as Chad Price. Also the other social channels as a real Chad Price, but you can reach me on my website. So if you're really interested in finding more about me, We'll be doing some pretty big updates to the website here in the next week or so. We got quite a bit of content and the book is going to be on there and different things like that. So I'm really going to be everywhere doing kind of promotional stuff right now. But I think the main thing that I'm really trying to promote is the, the concept of, of people really applying themselves and overcoming whatever they've been through, preparing yourself for that situation and not naively going into things and thinking that you deserve it or just it's something that you need to work for and it's something that you got to get across in your head that it's going to be a battle every day that you try to achieve something difficult yeah nothing great comes easy right for sure i love it it's chad price on linkedin and that's chadprice.com chad thanks so much for being on the podcast awesome case studies about some of your startups and, and your businesses a lot of e-commerce stuff a lot of business to consumer business model advice I'll ask you one more question. Maybe what advice would you give to entrepreneurs looking to succeed in a big way that you learned along the way that you wish you would have known when you started? Mentally prepare yourself for what you're getting yourself into. Don't assume that this is going to be an easy journey. It is a achievable journey. It's a journey that should be difficult and it should be something that challenges you. I would advise anybody to prepare themselves for the battle of their lives. So if you would if you knew that you were going to have to fight for the soul of humanity next week or in two months, 
I think that's the same kind of preparation that you need to take into the mindset of starting your own entity. And that energy is going to spread throughout the rest of your team, throughout your customers. If you don't have it, I tell people all the time, no one working for you wants you to be a multimillionaire. They are there because you brought them there and you are the kind of the source of the energy. And a lot of people, I don't think they understand that at times. Awesome. Thanks so much, Chad. Chad Price, Kettlebell Kings, chadprice.com. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me.